Today is John chapter 12, verse 26, verse 26, just the one verse, John 12, 26, true servants submit to the commands of the king, true servants submit to the command of the authority that's over them, John 12, verse 26, if anyone, anyone serves me. He must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Lord, we pray today that you'll give us the sense and the meaning of this text As you say in Jeremiah, you watch over your word to perform it, and I pray that you would do that today with us, that we as a people would submit to the authority of your word, the truth of what it teaches, and that we would seek your help to obey the truth of this text. We pray these things by your Spirit in Christ's name, amen. B.B. McKinney, great hymnist of old wrote a song that you would well know, and you'll remember the lines, and it goes this way. Serve the Lord with gladness in our works and ways. Come before His presence with songs of praise. Unto Him, our Maker, we would pledge anew life's supreme devotion to service true. Second stanza, serve the Lord with gladness, thankful all the while. For his tender mercies, for his loving smile, blessed truth enduring, always just the same, we will serve with gladness and praise his name. Stanza three, serve the Lord with gladness. This shall be our theme as we walk together in his love supreme, listening ever listening for that still, small voice. His voice, His sweet will so precious, will be our choice. The chorus, serve the Lord with gladness, enter His courts with song. To our Creator true praises belong. Great is His mercy, wonderful is His name. We gladly serve Him, His great love we proclaim. It's a catchy tune. I like the song, and I appreciate those words by B.B. McKinney. And it is the theme of this text. It's the only place in the Gospel of John. He uses the word serve, and so he uses it twice, and he uses it with a noun and with two verbs, so actually three times, the noun and then two verbs. The servant serves and serves. So we'll see that in our text. Well, in order to introduce this other than what I just did, in our day, this is not a newsflash, but in our day, there's a lot of talk with very little obedience. This is true in most er every area of life, not just religion, uh, but it is most especially true in religion. We should learn the lesson of the two sons in the Gospel of Matthew. There's two boys in the Gospel of Matthew. This little story is told. It's very, very short, and I give it to you because it sets the theme of the text. The story reads like this. What do you think? 
a man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go, to, go with me to work in the vineyard today. Father to son, straight up, go to the vineyard and work with me today. And the son answered and said, I will not. I ain't doing it. But later, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered, I'll do it. I'll go. I'm all ready for work. Here I am. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? This is so easy. Anybody can follow this story. We've got two sons. We've got two different options. Which one was obedient? Which one did the will of his father? They said, well, the first. You know, the first one said he wouldn't, but he did, so it's the first. Jesus said to them, amen. I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Man, what an accusation. He says, for John came in the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. So there's these tax collectors and these prostitutes that don't believe the things of God, but yet after they heard the preaching of the Word of God, they went and obeyed and received the truth of the gospel. These religious Jews, on the other hand, they say they believe all this stuff, but when the truth was preached, they said, we ain't doing it. He says, even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Which son are you? Which son am I? The gospel is clear. Repent, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him, serve him, follow him. I'll do it, and we leave and never do it. Are we those that hear it and say, I'm in, and we actually don't even have to confess it because we just do it, and it becomes evident that we are those of the first category who actually obey the will of the Father. Obedience is a narrow road. Obedience is a narrow road (laughs) with a huge blessing at the end. One that I can't even put into English words. I'm not sure you can put it into Greek words. So I'm not sure how we'll even communicate it when we get there. Obedience is a narrow road, but there is a huge blessing. You know, they say there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and it's not even a comparison to what the blessing is at the end of this road. All right, on the back of your bulletin, you can see the sermon points if you'd like to see them. Uh, I don't have the same letter today because it didn't work. But if and must is point number one. It's the first part of verse 26. If anyone, there's your if, if anyone serves. Serves is a present tense ongoing verb. If anyone is in the business of serving me, then he must is going to be the second point of, of or the second line of that point. To serve, let me give you a definition. To perform an obligation of unspecified service. To perform a duty. These are the things that are supposed to be done. If you serve, you do them. 
Certain things, obligations that must be done. You understand this in your household. Somebody takes out the trash. Somebody buys the groceries. Somebody cooks the supper. Somebody washes the dishes. Somebody makes the bed. Somebody vacuums the floor. Or you live in a pigsty. I don't know which. But there's obligations that must happen. The servant does those obligations. If anyone serves, if they accomplish these services. Now, I want you to see something else in my text. First of all, I want you to see that it's very broad. It's universal. It's global, if you will. If anyone on the whole globe, red, yellow, black, or white, whatever race, whatever cultural district you're from, whatever socioeconomic class you're in, rich and famous, low and miserable, middle-class American, wherever you are on this spectrum, my text says anyone. Anyone in the whole world, it's universal. But I also want you to know that my text is very narrow. Very, very narrow. Very slim. How so? If anyone in the whole world serves me, that's it. Everybody else is excluded. Not if anyone serves this person, that person, the other person. Ultimate service is in this vein only unto Christ. Whether you're Buddhist, or whether you're Mormon, or whether you're Hindu, look, the call remains the same. You must serve Christ. It's that narrow. Jesus himself excludes every other religion. Jesus excludes every other way. You must serve me. Now, just for a few brief examples from Scripture, like Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. And so Jesus heals her, and the fever leaves. What is the immediate response of the work of grace in the mother-in-law of Peter? Well, she rose. She rose, and she began to serve him. Whatever he needed, (laughs) I'm going to serve you. He becomes the priority of her life. Or in... uh, Matthew 27, there are also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, serving him. They're they're noted that, they didn't say all these other things they could list, they're noted for their service to Jesus. Now what kind of service could he have to have? What kind of service could be going on? Maybe they could wash his feet. That was a custom of the day. Maybe they cooked his meals. Maybe they carried his bag. Maybe they prayed for him. Maybe they walked along beside him. Whatever he needed, they served him by meeting it. What a noble thing. Wouldn't you like for it? You die, and on your tombstone it says, He served Jesus. What an epitaph. Acts 19.22, Paul had servants having sent to Macedonia Macedonia. Two of his servants, you know who they were, Timothy and Erastus. They served Paul wherever he went. Maybe they carried his books. Maybe they carried his parchments. Maybe they carried extra clothes. Maybe they went and got food for him. Maybe they made sure he had a place to lodge at night. They were just servants recognizing in their minds and in their hearts that Paul is a servant of God and will take care of this brother in order that the gospel could go forth and churches could be birthed. So they served Paul to make it easy for him to be able to do what he's called to do, which was to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're noted as servants. Even Timothy, who eventually becomes a pastor of a church, he's not unwilling to serve someone like Paul. 
Or you could do it in the, in, the, in the book of Peter. For us personally, let us apply that teaching. As each has received a gift, as a Christian, everybody in here has a gift you've received. Use it to serve one another. If you were logical, you're saying, hey, I thought you said serve Jesus. Just hang on because serving others is serving Jesus. So, so if you have a gift, you use it to serve somebody besides yourself. Now just pause. What are you honestly doing in this church to serve someone? What are, what are you doing as a member of First Baptist Church at Briar to serve your brother or sister in Christ? What are you doing for them? What are you sacrificing of your own to make sure that they're blessed and taken care of? What exactly are you investing into someone else? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. God gave the grace to give me this gift. I'm going to use it to help my brother. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why would we do this? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. By the way, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles, uh, follow along in the text. Matthew, this is my application to serving. Matthew, I live this out weekly right now in at least one regard. But in Matthew chapter 25, turn there in your Bibles. It's that thing with leather on both sides and pages in the middle. All right, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another. The shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's our application. For I was hungry, the I is Jesus. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And so everybody's listening to this, and they're like, when in the world did we do all of that? He says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Amen. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Note the connection for service. That when you take your gifts and abilities and serve a brother or sister in the Lord, what you're actually doing and your motive ought to be is I am serving Jesus like he was physically present. So, do you understand what this changes? And so Jack's sitting right here, so he's an easy target. Let's say I decide that I have this way that I can serve him. I sacrifice my time and my abilities and I serve him in a specific way. And Jack doesn't even say thank you. He doesn't even acknowledge that I served him. It makes no difference. 
I'm not serving him for his thanks. I'm serving him because I'm viewing him as Christ. And I'll trust and know that on the final day, the Father will make all these things known. And so, then I, oh, well, Jack didn't even say thank you. If that's your response, you're doing it for him. Your view is too low. Serve him because you love the Lord. Some of you wives need to learn this in your marriage. Some of you husbands need to learn this in your marriage. And some of you children in this room need to learn this about the fifth commandment, that you ought to be honoring your parents because you want to honor Jesus. 41, then they will say to me, say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me in. He was naked, you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick or in prison, did not minister to you? And this is what the Lord's going to say to a lot of people in churches across the world. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In that context, who are the righteous? The ones who served their brother in those situations as unto the Lord. That's the righteous ones. Now, this is service. It involves loving action for fellow believers and neighbors. It is the outworking of koinia. Koinia, the Greek word for fellowship. You say, oh, we have a great fellowship. Really, do we? Because we ate pizza? We have a great fellowship because we had crock pots full of food? Possibly. I mean, maybe that's it. But if we have great fellowship, it will be marked by serving one another. You, you have to ask yourself, this is truth by Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the truth of the Word of God. Jesus bringing these things before us. You have to ask yourself in a sermon, if you're going to be honest, how am I serving the body of Christ? Exactly in what way am I serving? you got two kind of people. Those people who always want to serve and never do, and those people who serve all the time. There's no lack of ways to serve. Dude, you can serve every day the Lord. You can serve every day your brother if you just wanted to. Or you can just talk about it. Like, there's so many people like, oh, well, I don't serve. I just don't know what to do. No, you don't want to serve. Because if you wanted to serve, you'd find a way to do so. Now, he goes on. So that's the if. If you serve me, you must. Now, it's a command now. You say, ah, if anyone serves me, this is what you must do. This is what has to happen. This is the command of the triune God upon us. You must follow. To follow as a disciple. Go where he goes. Do what he does. Preach what he preaches. Pray like he prays. Like Peter learned. Remember at the end of the Gospel of John, we hadn't got there yet, but in the end of the Gospel of John, we find these words. Amen, amen. I say to you, he said this to Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You say, I don't know what that means. Well, he tells us. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. You follow me and you'll be a martyr. And they followed and they were martyred or exiled on the Isle of Patmos like John was. So, In the context of our passage that we preached last week, my hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is a direct reference, this is what I told you last week, it's a direct reference to the cross. It's a direct reference to a substitutionary death by Christ. So you must follow. Whoever wants to follow me must take up his cross daily. You must daily die to your Americanism, middle-classism. You must die to that and say, how can I serve my brother because I want to serve Jesus? How are you doing it? Hey, after this sermon, what are you going to do different? You, you leave this place today, what's going to change? What's going to happen? Just some kind of religious jargon, Randall knows Greek and goes through the exegesis of the thing. We say great sermon and go home. Hogwash with that. Would you not take the Word of God seriously and see the truth of the text? I'm a servant of the Lord, and I'm going to follow Him if it kills me in serving my brother. Serving my brother because I love Jesus. Contextually, it is the narrow path that led to the crucifixion. A couple of things just apply that. A lot of people who claim to serve the Lord look more like people trying to preserve their lives than people who are giving up their lives. Case in point, almost every confessing Christian in the public that I talk to, conversation comes up, and I say something like this, well, I'm going to Mexico, I'm going to Honduras, and I make that statement. You know where this is going. As soon as I make that statement to confessing Christians, here's the question I get. Is it dangerous? Is it dangerous? Okay, I understand what you're saying, but actually as I'm going to Honduras, there's another guy that's now going to Honduras with us. Not in this church, but another church. And and he, he wrote me and he says, you've shamed me into going. Because he said, I can't get off work. I have this, and I have all these excuses we all have. And I gave my classic response. I said, dude, if you were on Wheel of Fortune and you won the prize puzzle, would you say the same thing? Interestingly, this week, one of the prizes was to Mexico, to Cabo San Lucas. And the guy goes, I'm going to Cabo. When I say I'm going, is it dangerous? I don't know if I should get a passport and go to another country. It's amazing. If it serves me, I'm getting a passport. If it serves Jesus, it's scary. Well, blessings to that guy. Not only did he sign up, he's taking his wife with him as well. Here's the question that the Christian ought to ask. Would Jesus go to Honduras? Would Jesus go to Mexico? If the answer is yes, then you should pray that I die to myself in order that Jesus can receive the glory he deserves. Is it dangerous you're going to lose your life? No, pray that I lose my life because then I'll keep it. Pray that I suffer and my flesh is denied things. Pray that I'm lacking of all these things in order that Christ would be exalted. That's the way Christians ought to respond. 
Second part of the verse, this is confusing, but I hope you get the deity of Christ out of this verse. In verse 26b, the middle section, he says to them, is it not strange? Where I am. I want you to understand the word am, the to be verb, has to do with geography. It has to do with the location. Location, that's what we're talking about. Jesus says, where I am. Okay, you're here. There you will be also. So let's do it here in case you're not catching this. Location. Okay, we're talking about location. And I say to you people, where I am, First Baptist Church of Briar, in the future you can be there too. And your response is, we already here. Right? I mean, that's the verb tense here. What is he trying to say by saying, where I am presently, location-wise, that you in the future can be there? This is a kind of a way of wording it to show his absolute deity. Don't kid yourself. When Jesus is on earth, heaven's not vacated. He's truly man, that's for sure, and he's standing before them, but he had lost none of his deity, and he inhabits all of eternity. Think about, I'll say, he says this in John quite a bit. John 7, 34, where I am, you cannot come. And John 7, 36, where I am, you cannot come. Where I'm at, location-wise, right here before you, you can't come. He says that. John 14, 3, where I am, presently, you may be also in the future. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. He says this language a lot. It's a reference to deity. Listen closely. Jesus eternally remains truly God and truly man. In the incarnation, he does not lose his deity. He is present before them but he inhabits eternity all the time. A couple of verses. You remember Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens, even in human flesh when he's on earth. And he does whatever he pleases. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits or dwells in eternity, whose name is holy. Or Isaiah 66, 1, the Lord says, and this is a good one, Isaiah 66, 1, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. I encompass the whole gamut of everything. So where I am, he's in the eternal realm, always. And they can be in that realm in the future if they'll serve him. Now, Who will be there where he is? Where I am, there you will be also. So the question remains, who will be there in the eternal glories of heaven? Who's going to be there where he is? The servant. Diakonos serves. Diakoneo. So you get the noun and the verb. A servant serves. There's no concept of a servant who doesn't serve. 
This this makes no logical sense. In order to have the name badge that says servant, you would actually have to deny yourself and serve someone else. If you're not doing that, you're not a servant. That's who's going to dwell where he is. The one who serves presently will end up in the future where he abides eternally. If you desire a future location where Jesus is, you must be a servant who serves in the present. And this will be made known by your obedience of following the command to follow him, which is death to self, in order that Christ would receive the glory to his name. And we do that by serving one another in the Lord until he comes. Now, if you're really putting this together, this puts a a slight on a lot of churches across the globe. Because there's churches all over this whole globe who, in a sense, go through religious motions, but it's filled with people who don't serve. You don't serve one another. They don't serve the church. I I don't uh, recommend the author or the book necessarily, but it's like they're just dating the church. Just go through and grab the benefits they can get out of it for their personal uh, conscience, if you will. But they don't do anything with it. They just feel better because they went. Well, I went to church today. I went to church. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Well, what do you do with your Christianity? What do you mean what I do? I go to church. This is not what Jesus is saying. We go to church for our souls to be fed, for us to be built up in the truth of him, that we can serve one another. And we serve and we die to ourselves to serve because we're obeying the command that he has given us. So as Jesus is eternally present everywhere, and undoubtedly he is here alluding to heaven, the only way to have a secure reservation for the eternal dwelling with Jesus is first you must be born again. And if you're born again, and that's true, then you will be one who serves in the present. My favorite passages in all the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4, uh, with one word change. But here it is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. In accordance with His great mercy. You know what He did? He caused us to be born again. To what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to what? To an inheritance. Inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved for you. That's what he does for every person he has caused to be born again. And those he's caused to be born again serve. All of those who are truly born again are servants. All his servants submit to his command to follow. The path he has given is one that hates the worldly life, dies to self, and seeks a life that brings glory to Jesus. He said, how do I glorify Jesus? Serve your brother. Serve your sister. Serve your local church. You want to bring glory to King Jesus? You want to make him look good? Then serve and put yourself away and esteem others more highly than yourself. 
Try that. Give your life as a servant to the other and no recognition to self. And church is full of people saying, well, nobody thanked me. Nobody said this. They didn't give me a plaque. They didn't do this. Nobody notices anything I do. And I do all this stuff and nobody cares. So what? I do stuff all week and nobody cares. Get over it. Cry me a river. Suck it up, buttercup. Move on. The world doesn't revolve around you. Do what you do for the glory of Christ. You'll have your reward. But if you'll live your life waiting on Harry or Jeff or Jeff or Jeff or how many Jeffs we got, if you'll be waiting on them to give you praise, your life is way too shallow. Do what you do because you want to serve Christ. You go, you go once a week to the jail to visit this lady in jail. It's 100 degrees on my motorcycle. My air conditioner hadn't worked in 10 years on that thing. You drive, man, what are you doing? I'm going to jail to visit Jesus. Oh, I thought you was visiting Brandy. I am. I am. I visit her because I, it's like Christ is in jail. I want to spend time and invest. That's what we do. Do I not have something else I could do? I could find an air conditioned room, I can read a book. I, those are things I can choose to do. And it's not wrong, but I've got to deny what I want to sacrifice the time to make a two-hour trip to go through some stinking jail in order to sit down with a lady that's incarcerated probably for 10 or 20 years. Why? Because that's what servants do. They serve for the glory of the Lord. You say, whether she says thank you, it doesn't matter. Thank you, Pastor Randall, for coming. Doesn't matter. I didn't come for you ultimately. Christ is observing our actions, and he's observing all of yours. What are you doing to serve? Last point. If, and this is the one I can't seem to put in English. If is the condition. It's a conditional promise. If, and then we'll honor. Look at the end of the verse, and we'll be done here. If, here we go, it's universal again. If anyone, it's all so narrow, serves me. It's the exact same phrase we started at at the beginning of the verse. Now, here's what's going to happen. If you'll do this as a motive of love for King Jesus, the Father in the future will honor you. I still haven't grasped my mind around the reality that a sinner like me could be forgiven and go to heaven. But now to know that when I get there, that the Father, the Creator, God Almighty would honor me is beyond my comprehension. I'm all for glorifying Christ, exalting Christ, and we go to heaven and Christ is exalted above all things. I'm all for that. The idea of the Father bestowing honor on me, I still haven't wrapped my little mind around yet about it. Service defined by obedience to the command to follow is met with a future promise which will be bestowed on the servant by the Father. It's the only place I can find in all the Bible. You can find allusions. It's the only place in all the Bible where you specifically have the Father giving honor to the servant. Humanity, not Jesus, but to us. What is honor? To show high regard for honor, revere. Luke, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Short passage. It's the only thing I know to come up with to illustrate the point. 
It's good to read the Bible anyways. Luke 14, just 7 through 11. It's a wedding feast. It's an allusion to glory. Wedding feast. Luke 14, verse 7. He told this parable to those who were invited. Invitation had gone out, by the way. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So think about it. You go to this wedding, and they have a place of honor, and you just go up there and sit down like you think you belong there. This is what, this, this is what he's saying. He says to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin loose translation, the walk of shame. So just pretend with me for a moment that this seat here, it's not, but let's pretend this is a seat of honor. You come into church and you come in and you sit down and you're like, man, people ought to shake my hand. People ought to welcome me. People need to come talk to me because I'm somebody. I'm a middle-class American and I drive a nice car and live in a nice house. Well, that's not everybody coming over here and making much to do about me. And then the pastor comes in and says, look, dude, get out of that chair and go sit down. And you have to do this walk of shame all the way back and sit on the floor back there. Don't do that. This is a bad scenario. What what does he say? Look at the text. When you're invited, you go sit on the floor in the back of the room. Understanding your unworthiness. Just, Just be a servant slave sitting on the floor. And when the host comes... So if you can somehow imagine the glories of heaven and God seated upon his throne and there's this seat of honor beside him and, and here's God upon his glorious throne, throne and he says, Hey, Ernesto, I'm up here and sit down. I want to introduce you to everybody. Are you kidding me? The God of heaven is going to present me before all of the host of heaven and bestow honor upon me and say, This is is my son. If that doesn't encourage you to serve the Lord, you're lost and going to hell. I'm just telling you. If that doesn't wet your whistle, if that doesn't put a spring in your step, if you don't have some kind of joy like, man, I want to be a good servant because I want to be honored by God, you are lost. You have no idea what Christianity is. You're just religious. (laughs) But man, you're like, If you're going, are you kidding me? Is this text right? That the Father's going to call me up and honor me in front of everybody? That's what he said. That's the promise to everyone, to anyone who would serve. What kind of service? I don't know. You can cook desserts. You can vacuum carpet. You can mow grass. You can hook up electronics in the church. You can tote trash. You can go on a mission trip with me and carry my bags. You say, oh, that's self-righteous. You don't understand. You have no idea what you're even talking about. I guarantee you this. Right now, if Jeff Noblet called me and asked me to go on a mission trip with him, I'd carry his bag anywhere. You say, well, you're a pastor too. Yeah, but he's a pastor I look up to. Brett Beasley calls me. I'd move heaven and earth to serve him. And I'd take care of him on the whole trip to make sure he could preach the Word of God and consider it an honor to serve someone like that. I want to be Timothy. I want to be Erastus here. I want to serve Paul. You can serve in so many ways. That's what servants do. Well, Peter and James say the same thing, do they not? God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. First Peter 5.5, 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
James 4, 6. Oh, what great grace it is that the Father would give you honor on the last day. Because you served Jesus by dying to yourself for his great glory. Are you a servant of Jesus or a talker about service? In what way does your life express that you're dying to self, hating the worldly life and longing to obediently follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I know you're already checking out. You're looking at your phones, looking at your watches. I get it. I mean, if we was at a rodeo at 90 degrees, you could sit there on aluminum bleachers for three hours. I get it. But we got padded pews and air conditioning. I know it's tough. But hang with me. Just hang with me. They don't even have a nursery at the rodeo, by the way. Any little kids everywhere sitting with their families, but they can't do it at church. It's a shocker. So the owner of Honky Tonk Woman dies and invested in that man for 20 years. Come to church here one time. He owns a Honky Tonk Woman. The funeral was like going to Sturgis on a Harley. That's not an exaggeration. But even then, what does everybody want to know? Can you assure me that he's in heaven? It's all they want to know. Even the Sturgis crowd. I saw more nude women on t-shirts than I've seen in my entire life at the funeral. Everybody's. I mean, it's, it's the Sturgis funeral. We opened the funeral with Rolling Stones. And we ended with free birds. I mean, this is what it is. But even in that context, what they want to know is, is my loved one in heaven? When life is over and done, the only words you're going to want to know is this. That your master would say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And oh, is my ear attentive. Enter. Enter into the joy of your master. Church, please listen. All this busyness you got. You got all this stuff, do all these things. You come flying into the church the last five minutes. You're half asleep. You ain't got your life together. You're trying to figure out how to make it through this whole this dreaded hour that we got to make it through once in a whole week. And you go, go through all this. And then one day you're going to be laying there in your casket. And everybody's going to go, Preacher, is my loved one in heaven? And you're going to be there, ready to stand before the triune God. And you're going to want to hear these words Well done. What did you do well? What did you do well? Why would he say enter if there's no service being done? Because it's only those who serve who will be honored. It's the basic logic of Christianity. Servants serve. And I end with this story, and then Brother Jeff will come to lead us in song. Let us live like Stephen, who gave his life as a martyr. He faithfully preached the gospel as a servant who followed Jesus down the road that led to his death. And the picture we receive at the end of his life is beautiful. Quote, But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, the Son of Man standing 
at the right hand of God. Yes, I agree with the theologians. Jesus stood in a display of granting honor unto a faithful servant. And those words he spoke were the very words he was executed for by stoning. Well done, Stephen. Enter unto the joy of your Lord. Brother Jeff, come and lead us in our final song.